I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Before we get to today's conversation, I want to share just a couple of words with you about Brain HQ. You see, Brain HQ is an online training system with 26 exercises that hone your attention, memory, brain speed, and more. They really work. How do I know? Because researchers at institutions from the Mayo Clinic to Yale have studied them and shown real, measurable benefits to the brain, like 10 years improvement in memory. 10 years. Now, Brain HQ adapts to your unique brain. As with physical exercise, brain exercise works best when it's at the right level to challenge you personally in the areas you need most. Brain HQ constantly adapts to your performance to make sure you're training at the optimum level for your brain. So you can get a 10% discount on a Brain HQ subscription for finding out more about it here. Just go to brainhq.com slash political wire. Again, that's brainhq.com slash political wire. And now to today's conversation for anyone who looks at our government and says, everything seems great to me, no room for improvement here. Well, today's conversation is not for you. Now that that person has stopped listening, here's what the rest of America can learn from today's talk. The problem is even worse than you thought. While most discussion on fixing government deals with the politics and the posturing, we instead might want to focus on something much more difficult to fix. Nobody is actually in charge. A mountain of overlapping, contradictory, and often unnecessary laws, regulations, oversight committees, and more seem designed specifically to block responsibility and accountability and ensure the status quo. So how did we get here, and how do we get out, and where is the leadership? Few think more about the need to simplify and clarify American government, policies, and laws more than Philip K. Howard, lawyer, author, and thoughtful critic of the areas of our political system many others seem to ignore. He's founder and chair of Common Good, and his new book is The Rule of Nobody, Saving America from Dead Laws and Broken Government. Philip, thanks for joining me. So just a few of your quotes um, democracy is run by dead people. We suffer from legal mental illness. Government is making America inept. Y- you're really shy about saying what you mean, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, I mean, look around. We, you know, we can't approve rebuilding a decrepit bridge without, you know, close to 10 years of process. Uh, teachers have lost control of the classroom. I mean, we have subsidy programs from the New Deal that have been obsolete for 75 years. It's really uh, uh, the structure of a modern American government is not sustainable and it's going to have to be rebuilt. You know, you, you might like this. I was watching your interview with John Stewart the other night with my 17-year-old, and um, it seemed to me that his question, uh, you know, it seemed pretty good. He, he wanted me to ask, do you consider yourself a modern muckraker? Well, I suppose, yes. I mean, like the muckrakers a hundred years ago, um, you know, I see uh, uh, a, a core flaw in the assumption of how we govern. So, so what the progressives had right was that you couldn't uh, you couldn't trust the market system to say safeguard child labor. When the evidence was that that rapacious corporate owners would, you know, would would work them to death, you know, literally. So, 
eventually the overwhelming, you know, the philosophy of laissez-faire got toppled in favor of something that really was completely obvious, which is you needed some government oversight to keep people from being abused when there was such a disparity in economic power. Um, we have a similar flawed, or actually several similar flawed assumptions in how we govern today. And so is it is it the administration of government and the way that it's been built? Um, is, it, is it the administration or the design? Well, it's it, the design makes it impossible to implement government's goals. So there are two core flaws in modern government. The first is, is that we have no mechanism to adjust old law for new circumstances. Every law has unintended consequences, uh, like every life choice, but we don't have any practical mechanism to go and fix it. I'll give an example. Special ed laws were very important because before we had them, um, we locked up kids in places like Willowbrook. So we passed the law in 1975. Decades go by. It kind of evolves in ways that nobody intended. And now special ed consumes over 25% of the total K-12 budget in this country. There's almost nothing for early education or for gifted children. Is that the right balance? Nobody's even asking the question. So there's not one government program that isn't broken. Environmental review is an incredibly important thing to do, but nobody ever intended it to take a decade you know, so we're, we can't rebuild our decrepit infrastructure. The the environment can't get repaired because of environmental review. I mean, it literally is madness. It, it, it's a form of madness. So that's the first flaw, that we don't have the capacity to go back and clean up old laws. So they just kind of pile up like sediment in the harbor, all of them with unintended consequences. Um, the second problem is that we actually have a philosophy of government that we should avoid human choice, that we should tell people how to do things. You know, so you have the new Volcker rules, 980 pages long, you know, on dictating every situation when somebody might get close to proprietary trading in a bank. The Constitution was 10 pages long. Um, law doesn't work when it's, in the case of the federal government, tens of millions of words of law. It, nobody, nobody can know it. Nobody can comply with it all. So, and worse, when people simply go through the day with their noses in a rule book, nobody has responsibility. Who's responsible for the budget deficits? Nobody. Who's responsible for the fact that we can't rebuild our infrastructure? Nobody. Nobody's responsible for anything because nobody actually has the freedom to take responsibility. Everybody's just complying with all these idiotic guidelines. So. You know, these are we've dehumanized government. We've the law's taken a life of its own, and we're it's like a progressive disease. It's worse now than it was ten years ago. It'll be worse now. It'll be worse in next year. It's suffocating everything. Yeah, it it really does seem like a disease. And on your previous point, you know, who's you know who's responsible for all the things that are going wrong? Um, you know, I, I know the answer to that. It's the other guy, isn't it? It's never me. It's it's the other guy. Yes, and people, uh, there's a lot of focus on political polarization, which is disgusting, so we can agree on that. But my view is that the polarization is a symptom of the paralysis rather than the cause of the paralysis. 
you know, even the worst people will try to please the public by getting something done. Mussolini made the trains run on time. Um, the reason politics is degenerated into this finger pointing is because people have given up doing anything. You actually, it's, it's basically impossible to fix government when everything is set in legal concrete. So the name of the game down there is just to blame each other for the failure. So I, I want to ask you about the, the politics of it. And, and you, you outline, you know, some, some traditionally Democratic and, and traditionally Republican views. But be, before I get to that, I mean, when I read your book and I re- listen to your arguments, so much of it, it feels to me, gets to the core of what it is to be human. And, and there are kind of two areas that you write about and, and you've talked about. One is um, human judgment and the other is trust. On, on the human judgment part, which you were just talking about a, a moment ago, um, you know, you write, you really write about how our laws are are built up beyond all rationality in order to minimize human judgment. But but as you point out, you know, with some of the problems that have occurred, whether that's through child labor or or you know any other type of uh, oversight regulation that needed help, isn't that what Americans seem to say that we don't have faith, perhaps not in human judgment, but in the ability for humans to overcome their personal interest or personal bias and act with fair human judgment. I mean, I, I'm sure you understand but, why people feel that way. So how do sure. you balance that? Well, it's not a, um, making people take responsibility doesn't mean that you trust them. It doesn't mean that they'll do the right thing. What you have to do is you have to trust in a system in which other humans are also free to take responsibility to, for example, hold them accountable. So, um, a teacher in a classroom needs to be free to be herself. If she's not free, if she doesn't feel the power, be able to exercise her own personality, then it will be boring and the kids won't learn. You know, it's just it's really that simple. You know, teaching, uh, lots of studies on this, but it's all about personality and inspiration and, and ownership of the day. And, fun. you know, what's fun about life? It's not reading a script. You know, that, that teaches no one. So having said that, not all teachers will be good. Some will have bad personalities. But teachers who don't exist in a vacuum, there are other teachers. There's a principal. There are parents. There are the kids. And so while there's not necessarily a wisdom in any one person, indeed in any of us in some sense, there is a wisdom in crowds. And so what I'm suggesting is that we shouldn't have such a – uh, you know, what's the right word, atomized view of human choice. It's not a question of giving somebody, quote, unfettered discretion to do whatever they want. I, I don't believe in that. I don't trust people. <laughs> but it is a question of letting people act on their best judgment to meet broader legal principles and goals and have other people around judge them as to whether they're any good. As as I was reading this and and thinking about and thinking about uh, you know ideas that you've argued uh, for years, I you know I'm I'm trying to balance in my own mind the extension of you know your views of of common sense and that of course I I think that was your first book and it you know it, it, you know death of common sense or, or actually I might be messing up the exact title but but the the book in in the nineties that you wrote right. um, and 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 balancing that against what you know and, and which is kind of what you're arguing you know there's a group of 
people and there's teachers and there's principals. And so let's, you know, human judgment, we can get together and work this out as rational, common sense human beings, as opposed to having to, you know, itemize uh, every single aspect of it in thousands of pages of law. And on the flip side, you know, I feel, I, and I personally feel this, I, I'm interested to what extent you do, that we are in something of an institutionalized trust crisis. We don't trust government to stop reading our emails. We don't trust car makers to acknowledge when their cars right, have ignition right. switch problems. I mean, we don't trust World Cup soccer players not to flop or the refs not to fix the games. <laughs> I mean, we, how do you balance the, the the cry and the call for common sense, which you kind of have, have built an industry around, to your credit, versus this, what I, you know, what I would kind of call this trust crisis? Well, and uh, first of all, the trust crisis doesn't come from nowhere. I mean, the worse things work, the more we distrust everyone. It's completely natural, right? So, so who would trust anyone today? And you look at every special interest group is completely untrustworthy because all they do is toot their own horn, even the best of them. You know, they're not trying to balance anything. So if you ask yourself, who in America today has moral authority? You know, who would, who would you trust if they said, I think this is the right thing to do? Who was it? Uh, maybe John Stewart? I mean, Colin Powell? I mean, you know, you know, you know I, mean, who, I mean, very few people you would trust. Well, that's a real problem for a society. And so one of the things I call for in the book is actually to try to rebuild institutions that aspire to moral authority. They're not trying to get something for themselves. They're not tooting a single horn that are actually talking about the broader public good. So it's important for civic leaders or people who aspire to that to actually take a bigger place in our society because society needs people to look to, not to trust whatever they say, but to trust that what they're saying they actually believe is in the public's interest. Um, but, but, but so, so we clearly have a distrust problem and we need to rebuild some institutions to help that. But when I call for common sense, I'm not calling for letting people do whatever they want. Uh, you know, I believe in authority structures. You know, I think the principal ought to have authority to, uh, with a check and balance, but not a 10 year litigation to get rid of a teacher who isn't any good. Uh, I think that the president ought to have authority to approve uh, rebuilding your infrastructure without years of process. And if some public servant goes against his orders, public servant was elected by a majority of the people. I think the president, again, you could have a check or a balance, ought to be able to fire that person. So, you know, we really need the mechanisms for accountability in order to be able to give people responsibility. Yeah, accountability and responsibility and, and the connecting of those are, is certainly a, a key theme throughout the book. I, I want to ask you more about that. I want to ask you about the politics um, and the political realities, uh, you know, around trying to implement some of your suggestions um, and, and kind of how we would go about solving this uh, in a very practical way. Uh, but first, Philip, I want to share just a couple of words with our audience about our terrific sponsor, Stamps.com. You know, postage meter companies used to have the monopoly on printing postage. They could charge you an arm and a leg to print postage from your office, but those days are over. Now you can use Stamps.com instead. 
With Stamps.com, you get all the benefits of a postage meter, but at a fraction of the cost. All you need is your computer, printer, and Stamps.com to get official U.S. postage. That's for any letter or package, any class of mail. Plus, you'll never have to step foot inside a crowded post office again. Everything you would do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. It is so convenient, and that's why we use Stamps.com at Political Wire. I mean, who wants to have to go to the post office, and wouldn't everyone just want to be able to do this right from your desk? That's what you can do with Stamps.com. So right now, use my promo code WIRE for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial, plus there's a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in WIRE. W-I-R-E. That's stamps.com. Enter wire. Philip, you know, connecting this concept of a lack of trust with the politics, you you may have seen uh, um, just today a a Gallup report um, that gets to the heart of the problem you describe, in in my view. Gallup reports that Americans' current confidence in Congress is not only the lowest on record, but also the lowest Gallup has recorded for any institution in the 41-year trend. It's at 7%. Uh, This is also the first time Gallup has ever measured confidence in a major U.S. institution in the single digits. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised, but is that is 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 that the proof to the problem? I mean, is that just calling out? Look, we got to blow you know not not literally we got to figuratively blow this system up. Yes, yes. We we need to rebuild the system. And um, I was talking with someone recently who's a political advisor to a prominent uh, political leader. And he was saying, well, what would be, you know, what would be the, 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 the theme of a, you know, of a movement to overhaul government? And, uh, and I don't necessarily think I have a lot of wisdom in this regard because I'm, you know, I'm writing about legal structures and social structures, but I'm not a guy who runs political campaigns. Um, but I said, well, you know, the the villain here is sort of a blob, you know, this bu- giant bureaucratic blob that doesn't let anybody do anything. So I suppose you can, it's it's not as good a villain as kind of a horrible racist or a dictator. <laughs> so it's a, so I, I don't know if that generates excitement by the public or not. But one placard that definitely appeals to me in a movement is one that would say this: every member of Congress must resign. And and the reason I think that's an important concept in a potential movement is because it puts the point on the fact that that institution is broken. It doesn't even have the idea that it's supposed to, you know, fix old laws. All they do is argue about new ones. Yeah, it doesn't even have the idea. But that's its main job ought to be to make sure all the law works. It doesn't even do that, uh, and. And it's fallen into this horrible, corrosive kind of rut where the many good people in it, and there are a lot of good members of Congress, cannot – they've given up trying to do what's right. The institution's patterns and habits – the institution's culture is really corrupt. And and it would be so much better if we just put in 535 new people. You know, I mean this only half facetiously. You're, you're in a sense, almost, uh, you know, taking. I mean, it's, it's almost more radical than something that even the Tea Party would propose, don't you think? 
Yes, I mean, the Tea Party, I think, has the wrong, uh, has the right message. Government's broken with the wrong, with with the wrong solution. You know, sort of get rid of government. I'm not for getting rid of government. I'm for making government work. Uh, you know, we need government oversight of you know safety in the workplace and things like that. But, um, but Congress isn't doing its job. We, you know, we need a major recodification of the laws of the United States. A radical simplification. That updates priorities and that and that uh, uh, liberates human responsibility everywhere. So it's you know sort of a ten thousand page regulatory regime should probably be let's pick a number one hundred and fifty pages long. It should be it should be short with principles and goals or lots of examples of this happening. The FAA, for example, certifies new airplanes. Based on this principle, they have to be airworthy. There are no regulations that say how many rivets per wing and all that kind of stuff. Imagine if planes could be allowed to fly because they complied with rules, half of which were outdated. And imagine if an airplane manufacturer had the right, the legal right, to go to court to force the FAA to let its plane fly, notwithstanding the judgment of the, the experts. Because it complied with all the rules. Which plane would you rather fly on? The one that the judge ordered to fly or the one that the experts actually thought was safe? Well, you know, uh, that's, that's true in all areas of regulation. Yeah, I'll assume that was rhetorical because even, even I could, could make that choice. What about, what about the uh, Affordable Care Act? How, how, what's your point of view on that, in, you know, and the goal, and then the execution and implementation right. of the goal. Uh, I agree with I agree with the goal. The, the, for, the idea: a rich society ought to be able to provide health care for its citizens. Uh, I think it ought to be means adjusted, you know, and and such. I don't think the government should should necessarily pay for pay for my health care. I can afford my own health care, but. Uh, but I think the goal is a perfectly good goal. I think the the, the legislation is a nightmare, um, and it's it's it, 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 there's too many moving parts. I mean, there's just so many too many moving parts. You know, so let's let's just create a hypothetical new one that you could do in um, you could do one part of the, what I'm about to say in about five pages. <laughs> and you do the next part in probably about thirty or forty pages of, yeah. of legislation. Right? Yeah. The Tell first me. part Tell would me. the first part would be a voucher system um, that could be redeemed at some place that would be uh, is what's called a, you know an, an integrated care provider or an accountable care organization. So so it would, wouldn't be a quote insurance scheme where you can go to every doctor you want and it all gets reimbursed and you have all that paperwork. Basically, it's redeemable at some place like Kaiser in California or some big hospital system, and that's who gives you your care. Is that system? And if you want to go to a fancier one and you can afford it, then you top it up with you know your own money, right? That's for most people. For people who have what what are known as pre-existing conditions, or you know, who have at the time this system is implemented a very expensive medical problem, you know, which is a certain number of people, right? I mean, they have yep. cancer yep. or they have lupus or you know whatever. I would have a separate leg regulatory scheme where the government, you know, again, I would have it means adjusted, but where the government 
has a different program that only deals with those people. Not every doesn't treat everybody as if they're all the same because they're not. And I would have a subsidy program that's devised where the government helps pay for not the healthcare provider, but the government helps pay for people with these pre-existing conditions. It's completely. It just ends up being way too complicated and unfair to try to make all citizens in this system be treated the same when some have a fifty thousand dollar a year problem and some have no problem. Yeah, and, and it just seems yeah, and it just seems like too many people benefit from that confusion. Too, too many people benefit, and too many special interests benefit from you know having a multi thousand page set of laws which will ensure their bacon, um, as opposed to simplifying it and and you know just kind of you know trying to move on and, and and move forward quickly. Is that is that right? You know, yeah, yeah, yes. Over thirty percent of the healthcare dollar now. It, and it's going to get higher, is is spent on administration. Yeah. Just to put a number on that, that's over a million dollars per physician. This yeah. is really, again, it's a form of legal mental illness. We're wasting more money than we're helping people with, it, you know, with all the paperwork and all the administration and all the reimbursement and stuff. It's, you know, it's got to, got to be radically simplified. And, and quickly, just to, to finish out with a, another question or two, what, I think what kind of got me um, and, and both, you know, kind of, you know, hit me right in the gut, but then also, you know, got me inspired on some level to, in, in reasons why this really does need to, to get addressed is, I mean, you really do outline a cost and beyond just a monetary cost. I mean, you talk about the cost of America's can-do spirit, about human initiative, about how the bureaucratic mindset is corroding basic moral values of our society. I mean, those are real costs. And sure, you can do some math. You can put numbers to that. What's the cost of a lack of human ingenuity? But but on a moral human, you know, where is our society going level? That's a real price that, uh, you know, at first glance could be, uh, you know, just a little bit depressing. And then on second glance is like, wait a minute, we got to get motivated. We got to fix this thing. Oh yeah, no. The, the you know in, in in the rule of nobody, I have a there's a lot in the book about the structure in which people are allowed to make moral choices. You know, when you have a system of government that's calculated only to be based on compliance with detailed rules, not surprisingly, people people are now trained to say what does the rule require instead of saying what's the right thing to do. And and there are all these stories of people letting people die. A couple of months ago. Uh, some some lifetime employee of the Parks Department of D.C. had a heart attack in front of a fire station, walking with his daughter. Firemen or first responders are standing right there. The daughter runs over and says, help my father. And they say, no, the proper procedure is to call 911. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, when the ambulance calls, he's dead. They could have saved his life. But they were following the rules. There were I gave a bunch of stories like that. Literally, we're we're turning people into a kind of um, unconscious, it's like an unconscious immorality when you train people just to follow the rules and comply. And it's so easy because no one has to take responsibility and people get used to not taking responsibility. That's not what America is about. I was going to say it's just easier. It's it it becomes easier um, just to do it that way. Um, just to close out, um, you, you know the 
the ideas that you put forward, the challenges that you outline against the realities and the system and the money and the special interest and the history and the bureaucracy and everything that you're up against. Do you ever feel naive? I mean, I, I hate to ask the question that way, but do you ever, I mean, do you ever feel that or do you ever get accused of it? Um, sure, but um, uh, but the worse it gets, the more certain it is it has to change. This is the pattern of history. You know, I've worked with some of the leading political scientists in the country. You know, look, just think of America. Change happens every 30, 40 years. It happens when there's a crisis. We haven't had that crisis. You know, people took to the streets in the 60s. They lived in the streets in the 30s. The muckrakers were were got the entire public horrified, you know, in the, you know, at the turn of the last century, uh, we had a war over slavery, you know, after decades of, uh, of agitation by the abolitionists. Uh, it's, it, um, this system is not economically sustainable and it's not culturally sustainable. So it will crack. And the question is what should replace it? Um, so I don't feel that I or anybody else has the authority or the money to to force these changes on this current uh, you know this current system with all these forces that you mentioned kind of aligned for the status quo. Uh, but 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 I don't need to. <laughs> it will you know it's not sustainable. And so so what's what's important therefore is not so much to worry about how to you know, say pretty please that people are not going to listen to you. It, 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 what's important is to actually begin to think about and debate and understand how a modern global economy, which requires government oversight, could work in a way that doesn't destroy human freedom and initiative and actually delivers social services without wasting half the money. So that's what's important. And no, I don't. Yeah, you know, sure. People can confuse me of being naive, but frankly, you know, they're not that not that many people are disagreeing with me. Yeah, well, it, it's it's a probably not the worst thing, and b uh, probably not the worst thing you've ever been called either. So <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly true. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll settle for that. Well, an incredibly important series of ideas um, must read. Uh, Philip Howard is the founder and chair of Common Good. His most recent book is The Rule of Nobody: Saving America from Dead Laws and Broken Government. Philip, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. <laughs> 